I'm going to talk on fearing God or following the world. How about that? Fearing God or following the world. And, you know, at the age you are now, I can see better without my glasses. Okay. Can I give these to you? Okay. Whoa. Okay, there you go. Um, at the age you are now, whether you're raised in a Christian home or not, whether you've gone to church, you know, all your life or not, um, you are now becoming aware of things that you never saw when you were a kid. Now, I teach a kid's Bible study. It's age 4 to 14. It's actually easier to teach them deep theological messages and deep theological things at that age because they don't have the distractions you have. So I found that very interesting in preparing for this that it's actually easier to talk to them. They're with me 100%. I don't know if you're going to follow me or not. I don't know if I'm going to follow me. But anyway, but you're getting a taste of the world in a different way, and things in the world are becoming very more desirable to you. And because of everything that they talked about, the social media and the technology, it's all at your fingertips. It makes it much easier to see what the world is offering. We couldn't see what the world was offering when we were growing up. We are living in a very evil world. It's right out of Romans chapter 1, where we are witnessing God's judgment on the nation. So you have to be more prepared than any other generation to go into adulthood. Because you are living in a nation under judgment. We didn't. So what is, and it's also Isaiah 5, where everything is upside down. Good is now called bad. Evil, evil is now called good. Sweet is now called bitter. And they were mentioning so many of the lies. And the one, one that is just still mind-blowing is that gender one. You know, you can now decide your gender. What? You're insane to believe that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's because of God's judgment. That's why they can't think rationally. And it's Isaiah 5, verse 24. They have rejected the Lord and despised his word. And when you do that long enough, God will give you over to that useless mind and then you will not be able to believe. You won't believe so long. You won't believe so long. You won't believe so long that you can't believe. And it's an act of judgment. You don't want to be there. The Genesis account of God's creation is very clear. Male and female, period. There's no discussion. Unless you've lost your mind in an act of judgment from God. Now, but you are now aware of the world more than ever before in your life. And I'm going to ask you this. Are you fearing God? Or are you following the world? What is the most important thing to you? What is the thing that you love the most? And you can answer that question by asking yourself, what do you spend time thinking about the most? What do you spend your money on? What makes you angry if you don't get it? Perhaps you're a young lady who is consumed with worldly things. And you just love buying clothes, you love buying jewelry, you love buying earrings and makeup. Or maybe you're just consumed with all the social media and you haven't looked up from your phone except for now this morning. Welcome to the world. (laughs) Yes. 
But maybe you're just overwhelmed by your life. The demands of school, the social pressure, being accepted by your peers, trying to fit in. So maybe the most important thing to you is just getting through each day. Maybe you're in a serious set of circumstances in your home or in your family or even at school. And your heart is filled with anxiety because of it or fear or sorrow. And now your anxiety is the most important thing because you're consumed and you're controlled by it. Or maybe you're just a young lady preoccupied with or places great importance on outward appearances, how you look and what you wear. Are you a woman who follows the world or are you a woman who fears the Lord? So being a woman is so much fun and it's a wonderful blessing. And as God's design for women, it's so special We can actually be precious in God's sight. He doesn't say that about men. (laughs) He says that about us, that we can be precious in his sight. Isn't that amazing? Being a woman, being a Christian woman, being chosen by him so that you can know the one and only true God and have eternal life is overwhelmingly wonderful. It doesn't get more better than that. God says I'm precious and beautiful in his sight, no matter what I look like. That's a God who loves you. (laughs) But I'm the object of his compassion. So now I think with every passing year and every new wrinkle and every new gray hair and every ache and every pain, I am one step closer to glory where I see him face to face. (laughs) And it fills me with true peace and truly surpasses all understanding. Only God can give you that. Now, this is not what the world teaches you at all. The world not only exalts outward beauty and youth, but it also goes out of its way to tell us how to hold on to that outward beauty and youth, right? Now, in old days, we had magazines. Those magazines, books, but you have blobs, right? Blobs or blogs? What are they? (laughs) Blobs. Blobs and pods, right? All these strange words I don't know about. I don't even know where they are. But anyway, they're telling you how to look fabulous and look (laughs) eye-catching. The world says beautiful faces and beautiful bodies are are something important to attain. And it's nice to have one of those faces and bodies. (laughs) The problem is they don't last. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And the world sets such an importance on the temporal. Then when everything gets old, the world tosses us aside and we're unattractive and useless. But God says we can become precious in his sight and extremely useful. So I want to ask you, again, are you a woman who follows the world? Are you all wrapped up in how to stay young and beautiful by the world standards? After all, isn't being beautiful what the guys go for? (laughs) That may be true, but what God goes for is this. He goes for a woman who fears the Lord. And looks forward to the future God has prepared for you. And what God goes for is way more important than what the guys go for. And if you have a man of God who is interested in you, I'm going to tell you that he is definitely going to go for you becoming a woman who fears the Lord. That's going to be more important to him than what you look like. So let's look what the Bible says about it. In the inspired word of God, we are taught that fearing God is the key to true peace 
true joy, true wisdom and everlasting life where there are no wrinkles, no more aches, no more pain, no more sorrow of any kind. And in the book of Proverbs 31, I call her Precious 31, or P31, if you're kind of like an airplane. Precious 3130, we're told, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So following the world, what does a woman who follows the world look like? So looking at all those magazines, I didn't go to the blobs or the pods, but I did look at a couple magazines and this is what I came up with, just some headlines I took off of the things that you might be hearing about. So here are some headlines on how, what they think about the world. How to be a woman of the world. Shrink your fat cells. Lose five pounds a week. Shrink your fat cells. Lose one pound a minute. I lost 350 pounds and so can you. Look how to look gorgeous and have frizz-free curls, lush lashes, shine-free skin, and perfect lips. This is one of my favorites. Thigh anxiety. I have this. Is the measure... Of a woman recorded in the size of your thighs. <laughs> Loose that belly fat by Christmas. Low carbs, no carbs, all carbs. <laughs> then there's the turbo protein diet. Eat more, way less. I don't even understand that. The stress diet. The new fat fighter. And then there was the cellulite lifter I found. It's a machine that lifts your cellulite. And then when the machine's off, everything falls. <laughs> so it's not guaranteed. That's what it said, and I'm not making this up. I couldn't make this up. (laughs) And the fountain of use, at last, it's all in vitamin C. Okay? And the oil of of Olay age-defying series. So, if you soak in tubs of oil of Olay, you can't even say it anymore, take buckets of vitamin C, and don't forget the cellulite lifter, you'll never have to worry about getting old. Never! (laughs) And that's just a small taste of what the woman who follows the world are interested in. The world says physical beauty is the only way to success, happiness, wealth, and yes, even peace of mind. And physical beauty is so important that everybody writes about it. They devote so much time telling us how to maintain that physical beauty and how to stay young. Now, are you a woman who follows the world? God has some warnings for you. And he says to beware of charm and beauty. But God says charm is deceitful. Now, deceitful is a very interesting word. Now, if you could put that slide up. I teach children, so I teach with pictures. I learn from pictures. Can you see this? Oh, you can't see it. It's too small, isn't it? So the shark has a a mask on that's a goldfish. (laughs) And the goldfish has a mask on that's a shark. That is a perfect illustration of being deceitful. And the kids voted that the greatest, greatest slide I've ever come up with in the whole history of my teaching. And I'm so sorry I couldn't get it bigger. But it's technology, and I don't do technology very well. But charm is deceitful. It means you're telling somebody that you're something that you're not. Isn't that a perfect slide? Charm makes someone believe something that's not true. Charm is a deliberate misrepresentation of the truth. So you can take that gigantic slide down now. (laughs) Physical beauty alone is vain. That's another warning from God. Vain has, has no real value. 
Physical beauty in itself has no real value. It's empty. It's hollow. Physical beauty alone is fruitless. It's conceited when it is not based in the fear of the Lord. Physical beauty alone is also temporary. Let me tell you all about temporary. Psalm 39, 11, beauty melts away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Now, I have a friend who I've been friends with since um, our first year in college. And uh, um, so when she went on her first date with her husband that she ended up marrying, was the first date, he took her to the pastor. <laughs> and this is what the pastor says. So do you like her hair? Okay, it's going to fall out. Do you, this is the first date. Do you like her smile? Her teeth are going to drop out. All right. Do you like her skin? It's going to get wrinkled. And on and on he went home, just driving that point home that physical beauty is temporary. They've been married 35 years. (laughs) He got through the first date with her. (laughs) But one siege of sickness can sweep away beauty in a heartbeat. Physical beauty alone contributes little to our happiness. And if anything, it can be very bothersome and expensive, right? Now, way back when, before I was a believer, I used to do this um, show. I think it was a TV show. I can't remember. I just remember with all these high fashion models. And so I was with the high fashion models of all the world. And what they were doing, this is so interesting that we're here, they were bringing up the younger generation to be high fashion models. So I was with all these youngsters about your age, and they were training them to be these wonderful high fashion models. And, of course, I was doing the show that choreographed and directed the whole thing. So we don't do that anymore. But <laughs> so and you could I, I know firsthand from that experience alone, the burden that heavily weighs on these young girls and they think if they don't stay thin that their careers will be over, and this drives them to that life of anorexia. It drives them to bulimia. It drives them to drug addiction just to find some temporary relief from the burden of the world system that's being placed on them. So don't be deceived by what the world is telling you and the standard they set for beauty. It's a lie. Another one of those lies that the girls were talking about. 2 Corinthians 4.16, as the outward decays, the inward grows and flourishes under God's word. Just last week, this this day last week, I got to be with Emory Britton, 88 years old, before she entered heaven. She's dying of bone cancer, and she's glowing. She's full of peace. She's singing her little alto part. Singing to the Lord, just beautiful, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. That comes from God. That doesn't come from oil volet. <laughs> Physical beauty is temporary, it's passing. Physical beauty is deceptive. Think of the shark and the goldfish. People can be fascinated with a beautiful face. Men would do well to fall in love with a woman's virtues rather than her physical charm because charm deceives. And beauty fades. Being struck by that outer beauty can distract one from looking at what's inside the package. All beauty is a work of God and we must give God the glory for it, but we must look beyond the physical beauty to the soul because physical beauty is superficial. 
Do you get all these warnings that are coming from God? What good is a beautiful woman if she is spiritually dead? What good is a beautiful woman without moral, mental, and spiritual merits? When a woman fears the Lord, this gives her a beauty that is deep and penetrating and absolutely nothing to do with whether your nose is too big or your teeth are perfectly straight. Look at my friend Emery. Most beautiful thing you'd ever see. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So are you a woman who fears the Lord? Or are you someone who worships the Lord? And the fearing of the Lord, the basics of fear, it's, it's, it's an awe. It's a reverential awe. And it must all be directed towards God. Everybody overuses that word awesome. Look, God is the only one who's awesome. And what he does is awesome. Think of those disciples in the storm. I love these guys. If we were in their shoes, we would have acted the same way. (laughs) But it's in Mark 4, that huge storm that took place. Jesus is sleeping, sound asleep, peaceful on the back of the boat. And they're absolutely terrified, terrified for their lives. We're going to die. And can you imagine Jesus waking up and sees these faces? Ah! You know, it's like, when are they going to get this? (laughs) So he, of course, what does he do? He says, peace be still. And, of course, the wind ceases in an instant. In an instant, he stopped the storm. Now, you tell me, wouldn't you be more in awe of someone If you saw with your own eyes a violent storm stopped by a word, you bet you would. These guys at first feared the storm and feared for their lives, but when Jesus stopped the storm and then it says they were terrified. And this wasn't I'm afraid of my life. No, this was God is in the boat. He just stopped the storm and all their fear was directed towards God in the boat with them. That's what it is to fear the Lord. There's an awe, a reverential awe. You're the only one who could do anything about anything. I'm nobody. Finally, you got it, he says. Our society today is neither in awe of God nor afraid of his judgments. To fear God is to have that reverential awe of God for who he is and what he can do. And that reverential awe leads to worship. So I got a little formula that I've come up with over the years. If you want to trust God, you have to know him, right? You're not going to trust somebody you don't know. So if you have to trust God, you've got to know him. And to know him, you have to worship him. You're not going to get to God through your intellectual prowess, and I'm really happy about that because I don't have any. But when you worship God, you get to know him. He reveals himself to you, and when you know who he is and what he can do, you will trust him. Isn't that nice, little formula? It's very simple. Remember, he said, come to me as children. I like that too. Fearing God includes learning how to worship. Now, A.W. Tozer, he's written a lot of different books about worship and adoring God, really great little books. Um, He tells this story about he was uh, hanging out at City Hall waiting for a friend, and this man comes up, and he's all puzzled. You know, he's like, he he looks confused and 
puzzled, and he goes, and so Tozer said, well, do I know you? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I fell somewhere in the city, and I bumped my head. And, and when he woke up, he'd been robbed of his wallet, and it had been stolen, so he had absolutely no idea who he was and what he was supposed to be doing. So he's just wandering around. So Tozer starts to help him, and then this other guy comes along and said, oh, where have you been? And what have you been doing? <laughs> the whole orchestra is worried sick over you. The guy didn't even know he was the first violinist at the Philharmonic. Because he says, oh, that's who I am, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's a great illustration of all of us who've suffered from the fall of man. I mean, Adam and Eve took a terrible fall. And they forgot who they were, and they forgot what we're supposed to be doing. Who are we? And what on earth are we supposed to be doing? I bet you're asking that question. I asked that question when I was in high school. Who am I? Who are you? Throughout your life, you can struggle with your identity. Who are you? Your identity can be wrapped up in, in, in your talent or your achievements or your physical beauty. How you answer the question, who am I, will affect everything you say and do. Have you forgotten who you are and what you're supposed to be doing? God created us to be worshipers. If you don't worship God, you will find a replacement for him, and we will worship that replacement, and God will not be at the center of who you are. It's just like the Israelites. You remember the Israelites and the golden calf, all right? Moses was their physical representative of God, okay? Because we tend to want to worship things we can touch, and talk to face to face. And so Moses was that physical representation. So he goes up to the mountain. And their physical representation of God is gone. So what do they do? Make a calf. They make something they can see and touch and worship. And impatience and idolatry go hand in hand. Just a little footnote. <laughs> you will worship something. You will worship anything. We were created to be worshipers. So maybe you find yourself just not having a very productive life or not joyful. You just kind of go through the day, just blah, you know. Well, I'll bet you, you've forgotten who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. Now, I learned to worship in a very uh, difficult trial. It was very interesting. I had a friend, and we did worship together, and we ministered together. It was a wonderful, joyful experience. She, before she was a believer, she, she was a brilliant musician, absolutely brilliant. You know, she had the gold records and the platinum records, and they were all hanging on the walls, and she could have cared less about any of them. She got saved, and then she put all of her efforts into writing music about just using scripture, which was brilliant. In fact, Sunday, if you're here tomorrow, you will hear one of her songs based on the doxology, from him and through him and to him are all things, to God be the glory. It's the most beautiful song. She wrote that. I said, well, what do you do after you write that? Well, you go to heaven. She all of a sudden got very sick. Very sick, very sick. And before she got sick, she had handed me a book at the very beginning of our little ministry together. And it was this book, How to Worship Jesus Christ. Well, I was totally intimidated by it. Oh, God, oh, it's a little tiny book. How to Worship Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. I was a studier, and I was a memorizer of Scripture. I was working very hard at worship. No, you're the worship leader. I can't do this. So I told her, I said, I really can't read this. It's so intimidating. That's okay. She says, you just keep memorizing Scripture, and let's see what happens. 
Well, what happened was she got lung cancer. She wasn't a smoker. She got lung cancer, and I had the privilege of taking care of her. Because you can't take care of somebody alone, and her husband couldn't do that. You need help. So I had the privilege of being able to take care of her. So I will tell you, that, I'll tell you where it hit me. So we were in the hospital, in the room, regular room, and all of a sudden she goes, show me her glory, Lord. And I went, okay, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And all of a sudden we didn't know what was happening, but we had to rush her down to the ICU. And what was happening, we later found out later, was fluid was building up around her heart, and so she was obviously not getting breath and air, and so she was basically going to die. She goes, show me your glory. And this is what she does in the middle of dying and not being able to breathe, and, you know, those little tiny things. She says, oh, I love you so deeply, Lord. I'll never forget this prayer. Abba, Papa, Daddy, please forgive me all of my sins, the ones I know about and the ones I don't know about, so that I can be a pure vessel for you. I love you so deeply. And then we rush down to the ICU. And I'm like, okay, there's something very different about her and me. I know I'm saved, but I'm not this. I'm not this. What is she doing in this? Because I saw her all through her life just worship the Lord all the time. She just didn't have a quiet time. Her quiet time lasted all day and night. It lasted all day and night, and it was out loud. I mean, she would just burst into thanks when somebody gave her something, the cash register person checking her out. And, you know, I remember them going, oh, oh. <laughs> she, just, she just prayed out loud. <sighs> and you get to see, you get to hear the intimacy of which she knows the Lord. And you heard it all the time, and I saw it all the time, and I said, well, I don't have that. And I saw her all the way up until the last breath she took. And the first thing I did after she died, I went and got that book. I said, where's that book? What was that book? Maybe the, maybe the answer's in that book. And I said it. I found the book. It was How to Worship Jesus Christ. <gasps> okay. I'm going to read this book. And I read that book, and I went, oh, that's her. That was the difference. You don't get to the heart of God through your intellectual prowess and your memorizing and your studying. You get there through worship. And so I started to worship, and I started with Revelation 4. I walked through that open door in heaven. I saw him sitting on the throne, and he who sat on the throne was like a sardius and a jasper in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, and I stopped, and I went, wait a minute, there's a rainbow around the throne at the end of the Bible? There was a rainbow at the beginning, wasn't there? Oh, Oh, and it all goes together. And slowly but surely, I saw how all of the scripture goes together, every jot and tittle, And all of a sudden, everything was... And a year later, I had memorized the whole book of Revelation, and I didn't even know I did it. But I did it one sentence at a time, one moment at a time, seeing how God weaves everything together and reveals himself through everything. And it just changed my walk with the Lord completely. And I discovered I was doing everything except what I was supposed to be doing. That's why she said to me, just keep memorizing the scripture. Just keep memorizing. And I did. And now I had this whole well of stuff that was in ready for God to use that I didn't even know what I was doing. I pretty much don't ever know what I'm doing. (laughs) Anyone who cannot find time to meditate on Jesus and to worship him 
is either wasting time or busier than God intended you to be. Have you forgotten who you are and what you're supposed to be doing? Worship is our purpose. If I have a point, that's it. (laughs) Worship is our purpose. It's the one thing we should be concentrating on in our Christian life. David sums it up in Psalm 27. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord in his tabernacle. One thing. Well, what about, you know, what about missions? And what about prayer? What about, you know, feeding the hungry? And what about all those other things? If you have the one thing in place, if you have the priority of worshiping and adoring God, your creator, in place, it becomes the main spring that gets everything else going in the right direction. It takes care of everything. And you do what you're supposed to be doing. So... What is worship? It's, you know, basically out loud. I I worship out loud. I pray out loud. I learned that the hard way watching my friend die. She prayed out loud, and boy, you know, I don't care who hears me. I want them all to hear. Tender up homage. Those are old words, but it means basically speak out loud and love him and adore him. Using all your emotions. What does that mean? We can be emotional? Well, he gave you those emotions. Yes, uh, John Piper says, worship is a personal love experience between God and the worshiper. He gave you those emotions, then use them to love him. And even when you get angry in your life, don't take it to your friend. Don't take it to your mother or your father. They can't do anything about it except go, oh, yay, yay, what have I done? Why are they so mad? But <laughs> take it to God who can do something about your anger. Take it to him and express that to him so that he can heal you and show you your sin. That's a gift. But worship doesn't involve just our emotions because God did not come to do the deepest work on us in the shallowest part of us. And the shallowest part of us is our emotions. Ladies, girls, we're the ocean of emotions. Are we not? Oh, yes, we are. And that we're just like the waves of the sea. We're so emotional. We go up and up and up and up. But underneath, that's where the worship is and what stabilizes you. And it stabilizes your emotions as well. Worship is simply the adoring contemplation of God as he has been pleased to reveal himself in Holy Scripture. He's worthy to be adored. To adore God means to love him with all the power that is in you, to adore him and to love him and fear him and yearning to love him more, all based on the holy word of God. This is about building a life of worship, one sentence at a time from the word of God. I started with one little sentence in Revelation 4, and whoa, what a journey. Much more better than any roller coaster you've ever been on. (laughs) This is about loving him. It's not about checking off a list. Oh, well, I got my prayer life done. I got my, you know, said my prayers and I read my Bible and okay, I got it all done. No. It's about worshiping him all day long, seeing his hand everywhere and in everything. Just enjoy him. He's leading you and guiding you and helping you and caring for you and loving every single moment of your life. Don't miss it. And you'll miss it if you don't worship him. Worship is our purpose and it's our choice. 
Scripture's always showing us people making choices. Mary made that choice, right? Martha made a choice as well. I hear women all the time saying, well, I'm just a Martha. I'm just a Martha. That's how I'm made. I got to make the scones. I got to bake the cookies. I'm a Martha. No, you're not. You were created to be a worshiper. So, Martha, you chose to be a Martha. You chose to be busy. Remember Martha in that kitchen? Talking to the Lord? Can you imagine talking to the Lord like that? You tell that sister of mine to get her sandals in here and help me out. I'm doing this all by myself. Because when you don't worship, you know, you, you're going to lose your love for the lost. You're going to lose your love for the found. You know, you're going to start disliking the people in your church who are found when you don't have a heart of worship. Martha had chosen something completely different than Mary did, but she chose. Make no mistake about that. You never drift into being a Mary. You can always drift into being a Martha. All you have to do is just let yourself go and let the world just take you and the busyness of life just take you away, and you're gone. But Mary had chosen Christ as her priority. Martha had not. And if you are a Martha, then you choose that way of life all by yourself. And I'm begging you, choose another way. Choose the way of worship. It's our purpose. It's our choice. And it is difficult. I am not going to lie to you. Worship is difficult. It is not simple, but it's glorious. It is not simple because the rewards are so great. Worship is not simple because the enemy of our souls does not want you to worship Jesus Christ. There is a battle And the enemy wants to keep you so busy that you think you do not have time to do this. Worship is a very easy spiritual discipline to move away from. And when you do, you grow more cold and more dead. And it's harder to get back to that path. But here's a very sobering thought. We are at this moment as close to God as you choose to be. You understand what I said? If you are not close to God, he seems really far away. I don't know what this woman is talking about, and is she ever going to be quiet? It's because you choose to be that way. Write that down. (laughs) Write that down. Because you're as close to God at this moment as you choose to be. And then, so it's our purpose, it's our choice, it's difficult, and also worship demands diligence, and it then leads to delight. And I love, there was a young, young seminary guy, and he said that he had this great sermon, and he talked all about worship demands diligence, and it leads to delight, and I just loved it. And afterwards, I went up, (laughs) I said, I want you to know two more things that you won't know till about 50 years from now. Worship demands discipline and diligence. Yes, it does. It leads to delight. But then it leads to devotion, which leads to dependence. And when you get to the point in your life where you're completely dependent on him, that you can't take a step without falling down, you're going to know him better than you've ever known him before. And it's the most beautiful thing. So you don't care if you can't walk. You don't care if you have pain. You don't care. And you just, put the, you just put the mirrors up higher so you don't look. 
<laughs> Who cares? I'm close to him now because I'm completely dependent upon him for everything. Are you fearing God or are you following the world? Are you worshiping God or are you worshiping the world? Girls, I know you don't think about this when you're young, but life is a vapor. Life is a sigh. You just don't think about it. You don't. And I think God makes it that way, and that's good. You know what I mean? But you're going to think about it right now. Because <laughs> if you knew how many days you were, had to walk on this earth, would you live any differently? Would you make different choices? Scripture tells us our days are numbered. I think of it like we have a, a pad of paper, and they all have little numbers at the top. And so today, you know, I got 13,999. How do I know that the next day isn't my last? How do I know that all I had was 14,000 days, but I got 13,999? You know, you don't know. And you know we can be taken at any time. You can be a child and be taken. You don't have to wait till you're 96 or 100 years old. You know what I'm saying? You know, because our days are numbered. And it's kind of like a clock ticking. Have you ever seen those big clocks? I know you just have clocks on your phones. It's kind of weird. But those old grandfather clocks, and it tick, tock. Have you ever seen one of those things? It tick, tock. It really is loud. When you first walk into a room, you go, whoa, that's a, that's really loud. How do you live with that? But I'm telling you, by the second or the third day, you don't hear that clock tick. Because you got used to it. Girls, the clock is ticking. You just don't hear it, okay? It's, it's ticking. If you are a Christian and you believe in Jesus, maybe you've gotten so overwhelmed by the world and all the world that surrounds you and demands so much from you that Jesus has just become a face in the crowd. Maybe you never knew how to worship and he just doesn't seem as real as he should be. Jesus kind of go on your way. Oh, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe. But if you're not a Christian, I pray you hear God calling you today. Perhaps you think that everyone, like those, the ladies said before, they're basically good at heart, that God is going to let everybody into heaven. Oh, surely he's going to let me into heaven. I'm so cute. I never murdered anybody. <laughs> but scripture says that God does not let everyone in. My goodness, if he did, it would just be like earth. It would be horrible. <laughs> this is not heaven. <laughs> But he has loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son who took all of our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. God took that punishment so that we might be treated by God as if we had lived that perfect holy life. I pray you hear his warning of judgment in your heart today. I pray you receive this free gift of salvation through his son and don't let this clock tick on and on and on do you know what number you are on? Do you know what that little page is on? Do you know that number? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? You can't hope your way away. You can't hope your way there. You can't work your way there. And surely you cannot wish your way there. I had a little wish wand, and I waved it to and fro. Wherever thoughts turned heavenward or the other place you go. I thought it safe to trust it with my whole eternal soul, so I wished I, the life I lived on earth would get me to my goal. 
I wish that all would get to heaven and whatever they believe that Buddha sat at God's right hand and new age be received. Oh, I wish that Paul would change his mind and Jesus wasn't right because he spoke of lostness and the dark eternal night. About the way to heaven, one truth, one narrow gate. And I was so broad-minded, I wished away my fate. So I waved my little wish wand in the radiant face of him who met me at the gate of heaven, and he wouldn't let me in. And I wrote to heaven's congressman, but he courteously replied that I should have left my wish wand at the feet of him who died. For wishes could not wish away a lifetime of rejection, and wishes could not dress my soul in heaven's own perfection. And wishes could not save me now, for hell was so obscene. For wishes there die ghastly deaths, strangled with a scream. So I took my little wish wand into hell the day I died. And I waved it at the serpent as he slithered by my side. It was dark, but I could see him. And all I knew was fear. And no matter how I waved my wand, he wouldn't disappear. Oh, I wish that I had wished to write. I wish I lived again. I wish I had a body that was whole, not racked with pain. I, I wish I could remember something other than the dirt. I wish that I forget, forget my sins. Every memory hurts. Oh, I wished and wished and wished I could have another chance to cast upon the crucified a trusting, saving glance. But the devil took my wish wand and he laughed right in my face. And I went to live in darkness eternally in darkness and disgrace. And I never wished to wish again. I had no heart to try. For hell is where hope ended and where all my wishes died. But girls, it does not have to be like that. You listen to me. It does not have to be like that. It doesn't have to end that way because we can become women who fear the Lord, women who love the Lord, who worship the Lord. And we have a great, big, wonderful God, loving God, who will in no way cast out anybody who comes to him. You fear God, and you will fear nothing else in this world. You learn to worship him, and you will see his hand in everything you do, and you will see his hand everywhere you go. And that's what I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every soul here, every young girl. Oh, dear God, save them. Rescue from them from the domain of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of the Son you love, where there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Oh, God, and let your light shine in them through their lives and let them see your hand everywhere in everything they do. And I pray this in your high, holy, magnificent name. Amen.